I wonder, I asked this question, is it possible that we have mystified, unnecessarily mystified, the idea of calling so that it is for a select few? Welcome to the Hub Podcast, a resource for house church leaders to foster and guide healthy house churches toward deep devotion, contagious community, and missional imagination. This is an extension of Common Ground Northeast Christian Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Thanks for tuning in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the next episode of Hub Podcast. My name is Sam Linetti and I'm the Formation Pastor at Common Ground Northeast. I am Eric Fien, I'm the Lead Pastor here at Common Ground Northeast. Hey, if this is your first time, we appreciate you coming to check us out. Um, If you've been rolling with us a little bit, we're excited that you're back. Um, If you haven't heard our previous episodes, we marched through or we're marching through this series called Reimagine. And our first section was Reimagining Church. Uh, Really good conversation there with you, Eric. And now we want to march into another section within this series, a little bit about what is calling? What is gifting? Uh, are we called to certain things? What's God's will for our life? We want to dive into that question a little bit. Eric, we've been having conversations about this, and I think there mm-hmm. are some very good distinctions that we've been able to draw out and maybe definitions to reclaim in these. What are your initial thoughts before we dive in? So my, uh, my initial thoughts are... I wonder, I asked this question, is it possible that we have mystified, unnecessarily mystified the idea of calling so that it is for a select few? And so we use it in ways that would be considered, um, you know, like this in the context of a conversation, you know, when did you receive your calling or um, have you been called into ministry? And what we usually mean by that is a very large scale um, I guess, stake in the ground moment, wherein your trajectory is going, uh, the trajectory of your life is going one direction, but God intervened and, and said, now you're going to be serving God. And, uh, and for me, the, the fallout of that is, um, we get, we lose the idea of the priesthood of all believers. And we, and we can talk more about what that means later, but, um, because people will often feel, that they are unqualified or, or unable uh, or disallowed, I guess. I don't know what, what term you'd use, but they're being barred from certain areas of ministry because they are waiting for God to call them into that or, mm. um, yeah, into, into some level of, uh, if it's not this giant supernatural experience. Um, and so I, I would just, you know, suggest that it's possible that calling really is synonymous with obedience, that there are all, all the, all the time you see God giving us examples of people, his, his people and, um, uh, receiving some sort of an assignment or a mission to accomplish. And, and it's that simple. Um, you either say yes or no to that. And that could be going into ministry as we know it today, obviously, what we call ministry now today is not what was happening in the first century. Um, but that could be, you know, being feeling like you're called into some sort of church service or church leadership, I'll call it. 
that is, uh, and God told you to do that. And I would respect that. But sometimes I guess part of my pushback comes from people really can revolve around this idea. If you're not called in the ministry, you'll eventually leave ministry. And um, because nothing can get you through the hard times uh, without having this distinct, nope, I was called and I won't leave this. Uh, I, I won't uh, walk away from my duties as a called minister of the gospel. And I would say all are called. I mean, the answer to that is all, all of us are called. Uh, how that works itself out is uh, unique to people as God tells them. Anyways, those are kind of my initial thoughts. I, I maybe have a hard time embracing the idea of this mystical, supernatural calling. Um, although I do not reject the idea of supernatural um, events happening in people's lives. I just think we've tried to attach it to this one idea, this one term, uh, and it could bar you from, from thinking you're qualified or that God has asked you. Um, I mean, the question I've heard some people say, the, you know, if you're waiting around to know if you're called into ministry, the answer is yes, all of us are called. I mean, that's clear in the scriptures. If you follow Jesus, you have been called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Teaching them to obey the commands of Jesus. All of us are called. Um, and so uh, I would probably maintain that position and kind of, I don't want to say reject, but really struggle with the idea of whether or not um, calling can be elevated to this thing that only a unique few are asked to, uh, to participate in. Gotcha. Good thoughts. Um, I'm going to try to summarize a little bit of what I've heard for the people listening. Mm -hmm. So what I hear you saying is, there could be a thought, I'm not saying everybody thinks this way, but there could be a thought that when you start following Jesus, some may wait on a specific calling to do it professionally. Does that make sense? Yeah. You are this definitely, I mean, that's probably the next step of this conversation. How does it interact with your vocation? <laughs> okay. I mean, that's probably the next step, but go, go ahead and keep summarizing. But yeah, vocation will be a, a part of this conversation for sure. So just the rhythm, following Jesus, and then we wait on a specific calling of this is what I'm meant to do type of idea, and that's a calling. Some people put that in the pedestal of even being called to be a pastor as we know it today, or lead a church, or be a missionary, or different those things. We, we call that a calling. What I hear you saying is, if we give our lives to the Lord, if we give our lives over to Jesus and submit our lives at that moment, we are called to not just the, the grace and truth of God, but to be ambassadors for him immediately. There's a calling right away. And what you're saying is then some of these Amen. other times when we're waiting for a quote unquote calling, what you're actually saying those things are is acts of obedience when God asks us to do something specifically or challenges us to step into a situation such as like a Jonah situation. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We, and I, I, I maybe, maybe if we use the term given an assignment or, um, okay. Tasked with a mission to accomplish, but even the word mission gets used in so many sure. areas that may not be helpful, but you've been given some sort of task to accomplish and, uh, you can choose to be obedient or not obedient to that. Whether or not we use the word calling in there, I think can kind of, I don't know, it convolutes 
the use of it. And I, I guess if we just used it casually like that and not tried to make it more than it is, then I think I would be okay. God's called Jonah to go to Nineveh, right? He called Abraham out of his, uh, his, his, you know, known territory to go into a new place that he would show him. Right. And there were moments of either obedience or, or not that God could have done. But uh, to think I shouldn't be in the ministry of, you know, specific, I'm trying to think of something difficult. You know, if I, am I called to the ministry of, uh, we have a partnership with all worthy of love. Am I called to the, to, to the ministry of working with the women um, on the streets that all worthy of love? And, I, and my answer to that is um, God tells us to help people, the disenfranchised. So, so to some extent, I think there's a level, a base level where we could say, yeah, you're called to that because God has called all of us to help yeah. a specific type of hurting people. Yeah. an orphan, a widow, the answer is mm -hmm. yes. You like, you don't even have to search for that, mm -hmm. but whether or not you have been skilled and gifted to deal in that ministry, I think is something different. And it is possible that God could give an assignment to use our language earlier, place an assignment on you to do that. Even if you don't feel called or equipped or, um, or, or to do that, you know, am I, I don't know if I'm called to reach my neighbors and I'm saying that's a ridiculous concept, you know? Mm. Yes, you are. You are absolutely 100% called. You don't have to discern that. That is just something God has told us that we are supposed to do. And so you don't get to let yourself off the hook, you know, for that. Yeah. You are, you are tasked with that by the great commission and, you know, a myriad of other mm -hmm. verses that you could deal in. Yeah. So I hear you using calling as in like, uh, what Jesus tells us when we're following him is like, we're, we are calling is we are called to the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the less than the, the widows and the orphans. And all of these things are already commandments that if we're following him, we're all called to care about these things in some way, shape or form. The maybe some of the ways in which we use the term calling or God's will for my life or my little piece. What you're saying is don't be, get it twisted with no, we're all called to care about these things, but there might be specific giftings, talents, spheres of influence that you have that God wants to use for a specific assignment. Yeah, 100. Yeah, 100 percent. And and I would say it works in reverse, too. And I'll, I'd love to know kind of your thoughts on it here in just a second. But the other thing I would mention there before we move, you know, move on is the reverse is true. I believe there are people who would not equate calling or assignment as something that involves their profession, which is kind of brings in that vocation idea. Um, I read a, an article, I think it was called the butcher, the baker, the biotech maker or something like that out of a, it was a church in, in Phoenix. And, um, you know, they they were just trying to wrestle with this idea of vocation and, you know, if you're called to something, if you're gifted in something, does it always have to work itself out in a church service type of operation. And they were talking about how you can buy your gifts, honor God in being a great teacher. And that is ministry. That is a calling, uh, at least in the way we're using it before. Like you can receive that as high as, you know, the highest level of calling I'm using air quotes that people would 
would use. And so you could be, um, your gifts work themselves out in those contexts. And that is no less a calling than somebody who says they feel like they need to be uh, teaching and um, the, you know, the public speaking part of our Sunday services that happen. Um, if you have, you know, if you have a Sunday service kind of expression of church. Yeah. There was a quote, I think it was by, oh gosh, who was it? I think it was Tim Keller. Um, I saw it recently. That's why it's off the top of my head. But he alluded to the fact that it was a job becomes a vocation when you feel like you've been tasked to serve others and not yourself. Hmm. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way to put it. Um, and it kind of ties. Yeah, I'd be interested to know, like, philosophically or theologically what he means by that. Because I understand the drive to want to get people to serve others and not themselves, but I'm not sure I, I know how the connection between that and vocation is. Maybe, I mean, do you, under, I, I'm having a hard time even understanding it. What is he, what do you think he meant by that? I think what he meant by that was in whatever way that your job is, whatever you're working in or what have you, if you are working for yourself for your own gain and whatnot, it's not a vocation. There's not a higher purpose, but if in, in his context, I think theologically, if you see it as a way to expand the kingdom, serve others and serve God in that, it becomes a vocation. So it's not that, you know, mm. there's a professional ministry here where you're working at your job becomes a vocation of ministry if you're committed to the Lord and serving him in there at that spot with those people. Mm -hmm. So I think it talks a little bit to what you're talking about with vocation of uh, intent, realizing maybe God has you there on purpose for a purpose and asking God how in which he wants to use your gifting in that area, your platform. Mm -hmm. And if you go in that mindset constantly, you are in a state of God consciousness and expanding the kingdom mm -hmm. every day, no matter where you are. Um that's great. So those are my thoughts. One thing I want to dive in, because I think it ties in here as we're talking about calling and gifting and these things. Let's talk a little bit about the priesthood of all believers. You mentioned earlier that yeah. ministry doesn't, when we talk about ministry now, it doesn't look the same as it did in scripture back in that day. And I think that ties a little bit into what you're alluding to is the priesthood of all believers. I think it's important to understand that in talking about calling and gifting and vocation and whatnot. So when we say priesthood of all believers, and maybe it looks, ministry looks different today than what it did back then. Can you unpack some of those things? Cause I think they're tied. Yeah. One, just to close up our last thing I would mention, cause I think uh, you know, Keller does a lot of work on this. There's a book called, I think, Every Good Endeavor or Every Perfect, I may be getting the verse, Every Good and Perfect Gift, but I think it's Every Good Endeavor, where he talks a lot about, you know, calling and that. And, and I would actually, uh, it's it's fine. I mean, Keller's always, you know, got some good stuff, but uh, I would point us towards another book called Kingdom Calling, Vocational Stewardship for the Common Good. I had that on quick recall because I looked it up while you're talking, but Amy Sherman um, does an incredible job of doing, um, you know, tying our kingdom sense of duty and movement and uh, how, it, how it connects to what we do in our daily lives, including vocation. But um, 
both of them would be probably courses, but I would, I would recommend the, the second one by Amy Sherman. Um, you know, the priesthood of all believers is, as it sounds, all are called, right? Every person who is a believer is an ordained priest. Um, and now it's borrowing from, because priest was not always a term used in the, you know, the early church. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm thinking priest as a Catholic understanding, um, mm. but it would have a, you know, a Jewish connotation as well. And so as the Catholic understanding, we, we, that was obviously later, later developed later on. And so um, as, as we think about it, like the idea is, um, I can't, I, it may have been, I mean, it could be Constantine, um, but it's, there's, you know, you can track the historical roots of where the use of this hierarchical form of church leadership. And, and um, I mean, I think it even has its roots in trying to make sure that those who couldn't read would not be able to have access to the Bible so that they couldn't use the power held within it, uh, you know, free themselves to, um, uh, to think about the Bible without the interpretation of a mediator. Uh, and in this case, it would be the priest. And so you ordain people and, and bring them up into higher levels of education. You, you create a uh, separation between the scriptures and direct understanding of Jesus by creating ordination and different levels of hierarchy in there. And the priesthood of all believers, I believe, was, I don't know where that started, but um, it probably was Protestant. I, this is a, probably a quick Google search away, but um, I'll just say that for now, just for our purposes, that's not what we're studying. But the idea is that, um, you know, we want to flatten that. We want to take that hierarchy and flatten it and understand that there are no, uh, there are no hierarchical um, biblically hierarchical structures wherein the Bible tells us we are supposed to have others who are ordained. I mean, I even think the idea of ordination itself comes from, I could be wrong on this, but I think it comes from the idea of like one verse wherein the, uh, it, it may be in Acts or in the New Testament where they lay hands on someone and pray for them to go do something they're supposed to do. And we have turned that into, well, you got to get a master's degree. You got to go through this. Some denominations or heritages will ask you to go like stand in front of a board and they will shoot rapid fire questions at you to see if you're qualified to actually do that. And their, or their organization might want that, you know, they may have some stipulations, but in terms of a biblical understanding, none of that squares. Hmm. God has, called ordinary people into um, ministry. And, and that, that would be a more correct way for, for me to use that term calling, right? As we were talking about earlier, all yeah. of us are called um, because we've all been tasked with the assignment of being priests. And then you can go theologically, right? Like we, we are a, a, a priesthood um, and first Peter. Yeah. 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 And, and so there is a, um, there's a sense wherein we have built our own structures of governance. Um, not to say there's no wisdom in them, but they certainly, in my opinion, take liberties and cross lines <laughs> that, that I would say are not um, in, in alignment with the scripture. Well, it seems to almost shift. How, how do you feel about that, Pastor Sam? <laughs> First. First of all, you know, I hate being called Pastor Sam. Um, so thank you for that. But it, it shifts 
the shifts the authority and the credentials, the what's the term I'm looking for qualification, I guess, mm -hmm. when we start to think hierarchically and normal, every, I'll say normal everyday believers think they are less than because they don't have the training. They don't have the testing, if you will, the degrees. Yeah. But you forget about the anointing of the Holy Spirit and where we're told, don't worry what to say. He'll tell you, go, trust me, trust him, the spirit, go. And so with that, it almost seems as if the, the shift in authority goes to what man can control as opposed to what the spirit can do through ordinary men and women, not mm -hmm. to use sexist language here, but mm -hmm. all people. And so I think that's what I feel like gets lost in not understanding the priesthood of all believers idea that oftentimes when somebody's life was radically changed by Jesus, when we read some of these stories, he said, go share your story, go, go tell mm -hmm. them. It's almost an immediate, not just calling, but sending. And if we all would embrace that, how much different it would be, not just in our actions in the way we interact with people, but also in the way in which we lean and listen to the spirit. Mm -hmm. If the spirit truly is the authority on this rather mm -hmm. than our degrees, our education, we're not equipped because we haven't read enough because we don't have, it's not, it's not about your education and your thought process and all that stuff. It's about your devotion, your submission mm -hmm. to the Lord and your obedience to the spirit. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, you hear it oftentimes in Christian circles, Jesus used fishermen to change the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uneducated fishermen. Right. And not all of them were, I mean, you can tell by the Greek sentence structure of some of them that some of them had some higher level education uh, based on the, you know, the, the, the complication of the Greek sentence structures and different words they were using. Yeah. Um, you can't, you can't always just wholesale say that, but certainly many of them were, were very basic in their understanding academically um, in, in, you know, forms of higher education were different in that, in that time. So, um, but, but the idea for sure is that uh, the re, re removal or I would say not even the removal. Now at this point, it's removal. At that time, it was never, uh, it never existed in the first place. So to never have added in the idea of a structural hierarchy. And again, that's not to say there isn't leadership. I think people have yeah. gifts and leadership skills that can take place, but it's a relational type of uh, submission that takes place when you realize, oh, you have more experience in this world. You know, I'm not going to go up to a carpenter and tell them, you know, look here, I'm, I'm 10 years older than you. Let me show you how it is. And this person would say, you know, it doesn't matter. Your age doesn't matter. I mean, maybe in some other area it might matter, but here I've been working with wood a lot longer. That's not how it's supposed to happen. And so the idea is to mutually, to recognize and mutually submit to one another um, 
based on gifting. Like I know you have a gift of shepherding that is stronger than me. Uh, and so in that way, I would call you pastor Linetti, hmm. uh, but the idea of okay, prophet. Um, hierarchy, <laughs> the idea of hierarchy should not be conveyed in that. And, and yeah. I would say it was never meant to be conveyed, um, but it got added later. I would, I would even argue that there are some remnants of that hierarchy that we seen, we have seen in Jesus' day when we read about high priests and some of the distinctions they made, even in the way they structured the temple and the higher courts and there's significance whenever Jesus died and the veil was broken. So even in talking in some of those things, there are there were hierarchical structures even within religious practices that seem to be have seem to have been broken, doors flown wide open, and even to invite people into a much more intimate space not just to get close to Jesus, but almost anoint them in that too. I know a couple of verses I'd like to throw out there if you don't mind. Um, yeah. I remember Romans 1, 5 stuck out with me. Uh, it's a, a letter written to Rome by Paul. And often it's in the intro, it's in the welcoming. Oftentimes we overlook that. But this specific verse stuck out to me, struck me in such a way that it stayed with me. It says, through him being Jesus, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. We often thought, we often mention that we receive grace by faith and we're saved by that. Woo. Great. Here it says we receive grace and what apostleship that says a couple of things that says mentorship, which is an expectation but apostleship is also like an authority. And so it's both. And so there's a, there's an expectation and a weight that comes with this grace. And that always stuck with me of, whoa, it's not just great. Now what it's great. You have an authority over you, but you're also given authority. Go, let's do this. And it was really impactful for me to read Romans one, five in that way. Uh, one other verse I wanted to mm -hmm. share which is the priesthood of all believers verse first Peter two, four through five. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ calling a holy priesthood and, and naming everyone who follows as living stones, a part of the temple, the house of God. We all play a significant piece in this. Hmm. So any thoughts on that? I mean, that's, that is like the, the priesthood of all believers verse, you know, and I think in some ways it's establishing just that we don't, well, that we are, there's a continuation of, and a transition of the Old Testament priesthood that now is conveyed through all believers, uh, which means there's no mediator necessary because that was one of the operations of the priest. And so that's, that's what a part of what I think is happening there. Um, but you also 
have uh, you know, the, the direct understanding that now if we are priests, what are the ramifications of that? And uh, so, so, the, so the concept of us all being ordained and or called into all kinds of various understanding, understandings of ministry, whether that be in professional or vocational ministry or um, using whatever professional vocation you are currently in as ministry, um, that we should all have the sense of understanding that we have the same authority in Christ to operate as, as powerfully in those, um, in those, what would you say, medium modes of operation mm-hmm. um, with the same, same level of confidence that, that God has, has given you in that or has, uh, has lifted you into, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. It also makes me think a little bit of, and, and you mentioned this before, it's, it's not saying there's no value in authority or mentorship or counsel counselors or mentor. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but you're not saying there's, there's no, it's, it's not to downplay that there are leaders that are necessary. Correct. Yeah. And even if, uh, you know, if you look at, I think it's first Corinthians four, where it talks about, you know, you've had many uh, guardians or tutors, uh, the word gets used there. Um, you've had many uh, teachers and by that, it means, you know, kind of a temporary influence in your life yes. or a non-familial because the contrast is going to be, but you've never had, uh, you know, a father. Uh, and, and so in that idea is a familial type of authority. So, so again, it's not yeah. what I'm trying to, de- to deconstruct is the idea of structural um, concepts of hierarchical leadership, uh, yeah. but that there are leadership structures, but they are um, mutually submissive. They're built mm-hmm. based on mutual submission and they have a sense of familial authority and and i've always loved you know kind of the classic example is the father is you know if i don't know what kind of uh what what kind of um relationship you have with your father father but if you have a good father the idea is then you trust that person to be looking out for you and they do have authority there's certain things you don't say to your dad you know it's disrespectful and so it's one of the few roles in our society that conveys relational love and authoritative platform i'll say uh and we and that still is a type of submission you know that we are we're willingly submitting ourselves under the authority of that and so in his context paul is talking to i think the corinthians sending timothy his son and letting them know um, i am sending you my son to go then and create more disciples i.e become a father in the faith to you and he is going to convey all the things that i have been teaching him to you and i trust him listen to him give him fatherly authority in your life um, which i think is just a brilliant beautiful way to think of uh christian authority in in general yeah what well, makes me think jesus even alluded to this and said this whenever he was about to die, he talked to his apostles and said, 
you know, it's no longer teacher and student, but brothers, and you're going to do greater things than I. There's like this transition that happened in a sense. And being a dad myself, I think about, I want my kids to do greater things than me. I want them to know Jesus better than me. Am I guiding them to do that now? Yeah, they're four and two. I mean, but yeah. they say some profound things that are extremely simple. And yet I truly believe God shared that to them. There's been mm-hmm. some crazy things that I'm like, whoa. And so that's cool and yeah, impactful. Dimensions of that that we could go into, but I don't think we have time on this on this podcast, but there is with it a healthy father can wish the next generation his own whether that be his own gener- his own sons or daughters or the generation of disciples coming up underneath them uh, a healthy father can transition into being a father in the faith not a doer not a competitor with the next generation and so if you are a healthy parent i'll say because i don't want it i don't want it to just be fathers but mothers if you're a healthy parent in the faith you can get to a place where you're, you see your disciples wins as, as your wins and you no longer have to be the one competing with them so yeah. that they see you be the accomplisher. Me deliver the great sermon, me um, become the, the better evangelist. Uh, you can actually step back and say, wow, you've done greater than me. And I love it. I think that's like the heart of Abraham. I feel like mm. that is the, you are going to see, you are going to become a nation. And in the end, what God was promising him, he was never possibly going to live long enough to see that many people become a nation. And yeah. uh, you see Abraham rest knowing, being satisfied in is probably a better description that his, his generations of sons and daughters would see it. And that was as good as if he had said it and he was satisfied in feeling like he had accomplished that blessing because of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I said we didn't have time to go into it, but then I just said <laughs> it. So that's all I meant. We don't have a whole lot of time to get into this, but we, you know, talk about producing fruit and what is, what is, when you produce fruit, it's a seed to grow something else. Right. And yeah. so I would even argue that we're not really producing fruit unless we see, the next generation or, or other people that we have been pouring into doing the same. That is our fruit, not the people themselves, but the continuation of following Jesus and maybe in greater yeah. ways than we ever imagined. And so yeah. I've, I've seen some analogies and some pictures used to describe this as far as leadership goes, but oftentimes we think of top-down leadership and the building blocks underneath leadership hold the one person up. But it seems mm-hmm. as if the type of leadership we talk about when it comes to discipleship type leadership and all of us being a priesthood of all believers to pass the baton, if you will, and, and disciple the next generation, it's not top down or it's not top down, it's bottom up. So, and, and the leaders are holding up the building blocks in order that they mm-hmm. may then hold up the next, as opposed to the flip side of the building blocks are holding up one person. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I've seen it used very simply as a, instead of a pyramid, it's more of an ice cream cone. And the bottom (laughs) is the leaders 
holding up um, yeah. those they're pouring into and wanting to see them yeah. succeed. And this resonates very much with me being a former college baseball coach, knowing that I can't get out there and play for them. But my greatest joy is to see them not just play well, but see their potential, succeed at it, but mostly care about one another to just play a really fun, good game together and do things for each mm -hmm. other. And so sitting in the dugout, seeing all this happen, to me, that was the greatest joy. And I feel like I get a glimpse of that in what maybe true discipleship is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. That's great. So we kind of dove into discipleship. We were talking about calling and gifting, but I think this might be a good stopping point, yeah. Eric, honestly, because we were talking about there's a difference in yep. calling and gifting. And we talked about we're all when we follow Jesus, calling is we're all called to care about the things that Jesus cared about. And then there are specific things of obedience where maybe we are tasked or sent to certain areas based on our wiring, our spheres of influence and stuff like that. I think we could dive much deeper into that with purpose and what is that and how. But there's a difference between calling and then you mentioned gifting and then passing those along. And yeah. I'm really excited. I think that would, for our next episode, let's dive into maybe then what is gifting as defined as scripture and you've gotten questions about this. APEST is oftentimes brought up, A-P-E-S-T. Mm -hmm. And so I would love to dive into some of that yeah. stuff uh, if you're good for it on our next episode. So Yeah, right. sounds good. Look forward to it. All right. Well, guys, um, for anybody tuning in, thanks for hanging out with us today and uh, make sure to catch us on the next episode. We'll see you next time. Yep. See you then. We appreciate you stopping by and spending some time with us today. Make sure to check out the previous episodes on Hub Podcast. If you're interested in information on Common Ground Northeast, check out cgnortheast.com. We'll catch you next time.